Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Doist.io, the makers of Todoist, an online and mobile task management app. He started Todoist back in 2007 when he was still a student with two programming jobs on the side. He needed a way to manage his own work and productivity, but couldn't find the right tool. So he decided to build his own. And when he started that journey, he I don't think he saw it as a startup or had any particularly big ambitions. He was just building a tool. But today that company has over 4 million users and Todoist is also used by a number of Fortune 100 companies. And the tool that our guest, guest built for himself has grown into a company with over 40 employees. So today I'd like to welcome Amir Salihevendich. Amir, welcome to the show. Thanks, Amir. Now, we should just like prepare people because you are uh, calling in from Porto in Portugal. And as we were talking before we got started, there was a bunch of sirens and noises in the background. And you said, you know, people people tend to get a little crazy over there on a fri- <laughs> Friday night. Right? So Yeah, so I'm sorry about that. So if there's noise, you know, it's, uh, it's my fault. <laughs> Yeah, tell everybody out there in the city just to calm down for a little while, right? <laughs> cool. Now, one of the first things I like to do is to ask my guests what what gets them out of bed, what motivates or inspires them. Is, is there a favorite quote or is there something that that drives you to do what you do? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And actually, um, I wanted to present a quote for that, but I think actually that's not really like the reason why I get up in bed uh, like uh, I think one of the biggest uh, and most important thing is like having a mission and, you know, having an important mission that you think, you know, helps other people, helps the world. Uh, and that's like really what, what motivates me is that I think I work on something that uh, has positive impact on uh, people's life. And and so, you know, we talked about how you'd started Todoist. Um, you didn't have a a big mission at that time, right? At what point did, did this kind of become important for you? Um, so I think like a lot of times when you start something, you are not really aware of uh, the, you know, implication it has or like the potential it has. And I think like a lot of the really great ideas are not really great uh, when you think about them. Like if you see some of the quotes that people had a lot about like the computer in the 40 or 50s, you know, they didn't see that as like something that would have huge potential. And the same can be said like about the internet or anything else, uh, even like uh, Dropbox or Airbnb, like people thought they were stupid uh, things uh, that were already sold. Uh, And when I started like Todoist, I also uh, didn't really uh, see the implications of it. Uh, So I just started a tool, but like when you think more about it, you know, it is much more than, than just a tool. When I was doing research for this, one of the things that kind of struck me was like how, like you've just been all over the place, right? Uh, you were born, I understand, in Bosnia, grew up in Denmark. Uh, you initially launched this business from uh, Santiago, Chile. You're now in, in Porto, in Portugal. 
you have a team that's spread all over the world. How, how did it end up like this? Well, that's a really good question. The, the thing is also something to note is that I had like a detour. Uh, so actually, like I became uh, full-time on Todoist in 2012. And between 2007 and 2012, I was doing something else. I was doing a social network, mainly in Asia Pacific called Plurk. Um, so uh, I have actually also lived in, in Taiwan for like a year or something, or maybe even longer. Uh, so I've been like all around the world. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like to travel, but I also like to challenge myself uh, and just like, you know, uh, go out uh, and uh, live somewhere else and, and try to make uh, something happen. I think also like a lot of people are very location specific. Like they think you need to be like in Berlin or London or San Francisco in order to build something. And I think this is like uh, not true. I think like you can be anywhere. And I think also it helps you to have like the broader perspective to visit, you know, many different locations and live in different locations and learn like different cultures uh, and languages. So, so earlier I, I asked, I had asked you where your headquarters now in Porto, in Portugal, um, or or did you used to be in Chile? And and you said no, actually no, and we don't want to have a headquarters. Tell tell us a little bit about that. What, what what's your philosophy to to running your business and managing a team? Uh, so bas- uh, basically, like the philosophy is to have a remote company where, you know, we are not really constrained by location. Uh, So like we can hire the best people from all around the world and uh, help them, uh, you know, work together online uh, and also create tools that enable this kind of work. And we think like this is a really, really powerful construct that is only available right now. Like it was not available like 20 years ago or 10 years ago even. Uh, And... um, that's like what we really want to promote uh, isn't like this uh, headquarters thinking where, you know, you need to have all the people, most of the people in one location and then you roll everything from there. Like we don't really care about that. Like we want to make something that's more modern. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I've still seen people who are so kind of old school that, you know, they're not that comfortable having an employee work from home, you know, occasionally. <laughs> let alone having this kind of model. Um, have, have you found it has, it, has it been a difficult thing to do to, to try and build a, I guess, a culture and a sense of team with, with people all working remotely? I think that's like one of the most difficult challenges, uh, I think. But I mean, I don't really think uh, it's only a challenge for remote companies. It's a challenge for all the companies. And I think also like a lot of companies today evaluate work very badly. So like they evaluate work in terms of, uh, you know, you showing up at work at a specific hour and working like at specific amounts of time. But I think like, you know, this is a very bad way of, of, uh, of evaluating work. Like what you should evaluate is the output and the quality of the work that is produced uh, and not like how it's produced or where it's produced or like how many hours uh, the person has spent on it. And if you can't evaluate the work that people are doing, then like, you know, you should not be, uh, you should not really have people working for you because, uh, I mean, so so I think like the, it's really like uh, a problem in today's companies that 
evaluation of work is really, really tough. Uh, and the only way that like normal companies seem to be evaluating work is like showing up and, you know, doing something X hours per day. Uh, and we are not like that. Like what we care about is the end results, the, the quality of, of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, everything else is not really that important. So let's go back to the early days. Uh, we talked about how you had in the introduction, how you had come up with Todoist and built it as a tool for yourself to help manage your own work and, and priorities. At what point did to, Todoist become a, a product that you started building for other people as well? That is actually a good question. And uh, I mean, up until now, we have actually mostly built the product for ourselves. Uh, so, of course, like we, we, we are very serious about user feedback, uh, but we are not really like uh, driven by it. Like uh, we are driven by uh, the vision that, 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 that we have uh, and our use cases of it. Uh, so I think that's probably like uh, bad to say as well, but that's how it has been but right now like we are trying to to build something for others that maybe are not you know our use cases and these are mostly like for our to do is for business version where we need to you know address uh, needs for, from different businesses and also like businesses that don't do the same stuff as as we do uh but in general like i think the product is basically made uh for us and like we are huge users of the product and i think that's also like one of the reasons why it's so good because uh it's very hard to to know the user if you're not using the product yourself Um, yeah i've seen a lot of examples of that where uh entrepreneurs get into building businesses where they aren't using the product themselves and they maybe don't even fit the target customer um, and for example, I, I had Pete Kuman, uh, the co-founder of Optimizely on the show, uh, some time back. And one of the businesses that he and Dan Stroker had originally built was called Carrot Sticks, which was, um, some kind of educational site for kids to help them with maths, math. And, and, you know, both of these guys, they weren't kids, they weren't parents, they weren't teachers, uh, and so surprise, surprise, they, you know, eventually they ended up folding, you know, shutting down the business because um, they could only go so far with, with, with this. And, and I think it's really is important to, uh, to, to understand and use the product yourself. But I think you, from what I'm hearing, you guys go further than that, right? I mean, a lot of people will talk about customer development and using that as the main sort of vehicle to drive the product development and to figure out what features they should have. They may have initially started by building the product for themselves, but they sort of transition into creating the product for your customers. But it's like you're telling me that, no, we still really spend most of our energy on creating the product for ourselves and what we think is a great product. And almost the the sort of the side effect of that is that you have like over 4 million other people who love that too. Yeah. I mean, um, the, the thing is, like, we are very, very user-centric. So, like, it's not like we are completely, you know, just, like, it's only for us. But the, the thing is, like, 
it should not really be the user that designs the product. Uh, it should be, you know, your your team because, like, we have worked on this, or I have like worked on this for almost uh, nine years. So I know a lot of stuff about this space, uh, about this product, and like, uh, you know, I should foresee what the user needs and how it should be implemented and how it should work. Uh, and uh, I think this is like probably the best tip I can provide uh, also for other entrepreneurs is that I think actually like you should not build a product for other people. Like you should build something for yourself and you should be the main user of this uh, because the, the other case, like it works, but I think it's much, much harder to pull off because it's so hard to, to know uh, something if, if you're not, you know, an active user of it. Yeah. Okay, so again, let's go back to 2007. You've built the product. You start to use it. Um, do Do you remember when you when you started having other people use the product too? Like, how did they find out about it? So, I mean, I uh, had a pretty popular blog, uh, and I posted, you know, a, a link there, and then people just started to to sign up. Uh, and use the product. Uh, so that's basically how it started. And actually, like my blog is still online, so you can go there and see, you know, how it launched. Uh, so basically, I launched like with a uh, with one line and one link, and you know, you know, come on in. And then also, like you can see how I celebrate like the first hundred users, and then uh, some reviews and etc. So, so really, like everything grew uh, organically, uh, and uh, like from a core user uh, base, it just grew like that. Like uh, I didn't really do like marketing or you know paid advertising or something like that. I think also like uh, maybe I submitted it to Dig, which was pretty big that time, and maybe Reddit. Uh, but other than that, like I, I didn't really do that much mar- marketing. Uh, this said, like, I would not recommend this route. Uh, and uh, I think, like, some of the hardest parts is figuring out, like, your marketing strategy, your distribution channels, like, how are you going to reach the users? Uh, I think, like, I was lucky in, in this sense. Uh, and I'm unsure, like, I'm pretty sure I, I could not repeat this, like, in, in today's climate. Like, today you have to really... Uh, be good at marketing uh, as well. So like, it's not enough to just, you know, build something that that's useful. Uh, you also need to, uh, to nail the, the marketing aspect. Yeah. Or what you did is started to, you know, you said you already had a following on the blog. And I think that that's something that I see as well um, with, with some um, entrepreneurs is they start to build that following before they even launch the product. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely like, uh, that helps a lot. And also like, uh, if you, if you can have a way to have like a core set of first users that are influential, that can also help you a lot. Uh, but, but still like, uh, it's not really enough, uh, to have a good product. You also really need to nail the marketing aspect. And what I did, it's probably like very hard to pull off. Like, I think there's luck involved, there's timing involved. Uh, and I would definitely not recommend to do this like right now. 
I saw a blog post. I think it was on your blog from back in 2007 where you said, we're profitable. <laughs> Did you remember that one? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, basically, like, uh, I was a student there and I didn't really want to pay for the server costs. So I just put up a premium version where they needed to pay, like, for reminders or whatever. Uh and like already from like the get go, it paid for the service. So it, yeah. it was. Uh, I felt really good about that. So you were covering your hosting costs. So you were like, I'm I'm profitable now. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and 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 the irony is that you know almost almost nine years later, you guys are still profitable. Yeah, and also like the irony of that, like the 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 pricing that I did there like all the other competitors have copied that pricing model. And we were like also the first to do app to actually have a, a like freemium uh, product. And the truth is also like, I didn't really think about, like I didn't read about freemium. I didn't know anything about it. Like, you know, the, the, set, the pricing set points is the same as it was back then. And basically like I didn't do like any kind of research on the pricing or on the model. Uh, so, and the, the strange thing is that like our competitors have also copied that and maybe, you know, it's not really the best pricing strategy or uh, uh, the best price. You mean in terms of how much you guys charge? Yeah. Uh, so, what, what I mean, you guys are charging, what, $3 a month at the moment? Yeah, like $29 per, but I mean, uh, that price, like I did some calculations back then and I just selected a price like, uh, yeah. And of course, like if I, sh if I were to redo this, you know, I would probably do like market research, AB testing on the price, you know, figure out what people would pay. But like back then I didn't do any of that. Like, you know, I just said, okay, this costs $3 per month. Let's do this. So that's interesting. You, 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 you took that approach and it seemed to work very well for you. So why, why do you feel that you would have to take a different approach if you were doing it again? Um, I think like it's probably the experience, but I mean, that experience could also be bad. Like I think I rolled out the premium version and, uh, you know, uh, the payment model, the everything like in, in a matter of weeks, uh, and right now, like if I did a new product, I would probably spend a lot more time on this than just, you know, like say, okay, this is going to cost this and this. Let's implement this and let's roll it out and see what happens. Uh, like right now, I would be much more calculated in this, but I'm actually unsure what the best approach is for this. Like, uh, But yeah, but I'm still curious why you feel like that because you did whatever you did back then worked, right? So why... Why wouldn't you just do the same thing again if you were starting over? Why Why do you feel like you would have to do some, do things differently? Because I think like um, maybe uh, the pricing model that you select or the business model in general will not be the best one. Um, and maybe like uh, the thing is like I selected this business model, everybody else copied it. And then, you know, we have like competitors now uh, we are competing on the same business model and maybe like this business model isn't the optimal way for this to work. 
like even if it works, maybe there's something that's more optimal if you think more about it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So so it's kind of like you know you you kind of went with your gut at the time. You ended up picking something which nobody else was doing. Now it's got to a point where people have 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 copied that and and maybe maybe success is going to come from not doing the same thing over again, but trying to find maybe another different type of model that nobody is thinking about right now. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Something uh, in, in that, uh, in, in that like regard. Uh... Yeah. Okay. So you, you've got, you know, you put, you posted this link up, you've got people starting to sign up. You, you quickly rolled out this premium version. And so you were covering your hosting costs. Um, how long did that go on for? How how long were you the only guy working on this product? So here's the like the the shock story. Like uh, in 2008, I actually I joined another startup to work on something completely other, like a social network. And between like 2008 and 2011 or 12, nothing happens for Todoist. So like also if you see our, our growth curve, it's like almost flat in, in this period. Um, so basically like I abandoned the the space and the product. Like I only fix bugs. I'm, you know, uh, I, I keep it afloat, but I don't develop actively that much on it. Uh, and then in uh, 2011 or 12, I think it's like in 12, I returned back and uh, work on this full time. So basically, there's like uh, three or four years where the product is basically like not being developed actively on, but it still has like a lot of users. People are happy for it, uh, and etc. Wow. So, so what? <laughs> okay, okay, we got to talk about this. Okay, so uh, two thousand and eight. Do you remember roughly how many users you had? Uh I don't know. Uh, I'm actually unsure. Uh, it's uh, it's. I think probably under hundred thousand. And so for four years, why why was it? Why did you decide not to do anything with it? Did did you not believe that this was a, a business there, or what? What was your thinking? I mean, I I got like a really uh, good offer uh, to to start this social network and uh, I just like got sidetracked on that. Uh, yeah. So, so that was like the main reason. And the thing is like, I didn't really see the potential in Todoist or like the productivity space uh, at that time. Uh, so I think also like it shows you how hard it is to actually evaluate ideas. And I, I, um, so, so, like even uh, with a lot of success, I could not really foresee the, you know, the future or like how big could this be or like how good idea is this. And and so when you're working on, a, you know, you're working on a, a, a full-time job, did you ever, and you don't see the potential with this product, did you ever feel like maybe I should just shut this down? Maybe this is just a distraction to what I really need to go and do. Uh, I felt this a lot of times uh, during this because, like, I, I, I still maintained the product, uh, you know, and made sure it, it was up. Uh, 
And sometimes, you know, you had like bugs or scalability issues or whatever, and I needed to like fix them. Uh, and it was very hard because like our other startup was growing like very, very fast as well and was doing really well. Uh, so I, I, I didn't really have like the time to, to, to maintain it. Uh, this said, like I have actually since 2007 used the product like every day. Uh, so I, I never really like stopped using the product uh, or like I didn't really abandon it as a user. Uh, and that's like also why I returned back and, and did this. So, so, yeah, so, so what happened in 2012? Why, why did you go full time? Was there, did something change? Did you see an opportunity that you, you didn't see before? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, like, uh, when I joined the social network, I was like 20-something, 22, uh, very young. Uh, It was like my first real uh, job. Uh, So I I didn't really know what what I wanted to do. Uh, And uh, I learned also a lot doing this social network. But what I found out is that, uh, like, doing something that you're not really that passionate about or, like, that you don't feel like is uh, improving the world, like, on the social network, we would spend like a lot of time optimizing for wasting people's time, you know, like how can we make them waste more of their time? And after, you know, three years doing that, like I was just sick and tired of that. Like I wanted to optimize how people can get more done uh, and, you know, have a better life instead of just uh, wasting it uh, on uh, on some social network. Um so, so that was like really the big change is that I wanted to do something meaningful with, with my life. And I thought a lot about like what would I want to, to do. And uh, productivity uh, is definitely like an area I'm very passionate about. Uh, and I think it was like I can make uh, an impact in. Uh, so uh, when, when I returned back like to Todoist, I was uh, very mission-driven uh, and I wanted to make something meaningful. And I think also like that, like when I returned back to this, I had like about 200,000 users. And like the last from 2012, we have grown it like from 200,000 users. There are only like a few of them. I don't know how many. I think maybe a few uh, tens of thousands were, were active. Uh, we have grown it to like millions of users uh, right now. Did you so so you've decided that you kind of have a clearer purpose you you you'd spent time at this startup decided that that really wasn't fulfilling you in a in a meaningful way um you're passionate about productivity but you still you up until that point you still felt there wasn't an opportunity with Todoist so did something change that that you felt that now there was a business there was was it because you were getting a lot more users or what what was happening there i'm i'm actually unsure it's like it's hard to go back and and, and think about it uh i think like it's it's really uh triggered by a lot of stuff uh, like uh i mean i i wanted to do something meaningful and uh after some time like I still use the product every day. Uh, I had a lot of like people, you know, uh, sending me stuff, uh, 
like uh, maybe on a weekly basis where they thanked me for creating uh, Todoist and, and stuff like that. So like, I think that was probably uh, the main motivator is that I still use the product. I loved it uh, and I wanted to improve it. And I thought like there was a, a lot of possibilities there. And especially I think also the mobile revolution uh, triggered also something like I could see a much bigger uh, picture, especially with, with mobile um, in mind. So were you generating enough revenue in 2012 to be able to to pay yourself? Uh, not uh, really, but I changed actually that like in a matter of, of, of months, I think, uh, because like when I returned back, uh, to work on it, I had a lot more experience uh, with like product development, with development in general, with design. Uh, so it took me like a few months to make it uh, like uh, generate enough revenue to pay uh, for my own salary. And then at what point did you hire your first employee? Um I mean, I did it pretty fast. Uh, the thing is, like, I had a support section uh, on, on, on Todoist, and I was, like, getting uh, a ton of, of, of emails. And, you know, like, I would just spend a lot of time doing support emails. Uh, and uh, at the beginning, I just hired somebody to do that. And that was, like, a huge relief because, uh, like, I could just focus on development after that. So I think like uh, pretty much uh, very fast after I I returned back I hired the first support uh, person. I've I've been on the Todoist forum and it's a it's it's a group of very passionate people who have some very strong ideas about you know how the product should be built. Um and the the one thing that struck me was that it must be really hard because there there are people out there who uh, either sort of look at Todoist and say, no, 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 you need to kind of simplify it more and, and go this direction. And I've seen other people saying, no, it should be more like a Kanban board and like Trello or something like this. And, and so is, you know, have you found that, um, that's that's has that been a challenge dealing with that kind of constant input from your users about what you should be doing with the product i know you've you said that you continue to really focus on building a, a product for yourself but how how do you deal with um this sort of constant sort of demands from users about what they want to see from the product i mean i think that is like a very uh find balance like i think uh, you know user feedback is very very valuable and we uh, really uh, value that a lot but i think also like you really need to filter that feedback and prioritize on it because like you know every user especially for something that's so personal as to do is like have their own ideas of, of how this should work so like you can't build a product you know that's that's suited for uh, you know a million different users uh, so you you really like need to to look at the feedback, filter it, and focus on the important aspects. And I think that's really really a huge challenge. Uh, and I think also like for, for for new people that are entering this, like 
you should really like the, the user feedback that, 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 that you get should be filtered and you should like really think about it. Like maybe uh, the solution they really want isn't the one that they want. You know, maybe there's, there's another way to solve their problem. Um, and a lot of users, uh, when they come with feedback, they also provide a solution. But like a lot of times that solution is not really a, a great one. All right, that wraps up part one of the interview with Amir Salihefendic. Um, you can listen to part two of this interview in episode 85. 